And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Today is uh, September 12th. Uh, 2022, almost halfway through the month of September. Um, here we are one day after 9-11, so 21 years ago uh, that uh, terrorists uh, struck the uh, World Trade Center in New York. So many people that are uh, alive today, uh, roughly a quarter, uh, were not born um, when that uh, tragic event happened. And uh, something that... Uh, we can never forget, and uh, something that uh, we are constantly thinking about in our thoughts and prayers, those uh, who died and gave their lives on 9-11-2001. So, here we are on 9-12-2022. If you go back 21-plus uh, years, and uh, those of you who remember that day, it uh, was uh, certainly very grim, and the outlook was very grim. Uh, today, a um, whole bit bit different uh, circumstances, um, but we have uh, wars going on in uh, Russia and the Ukraine. We have uh, energy wars taking place uh, between Russia and Europe. Uh, we have concerns about uh, valuations here in the United States and the rest of the world in uh, markets. Um, but what we must remember is that the human spirit is powerful, that uh, humanity uh, has uh, found a way to persevere, and optimism and positive thought wins the day. And we'll talk uh, some more about that in uh, some uh, some commentary from a book that I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, also this morning, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on uh, both domestically and internationally, uh, the financial markets this morning. Um, we will talk about Barron's outlook on the uh, financial markets, uh, talk about uh, inflation, uh, talk about last week's banks bounce in the equity markets. Um, and then move on to a topic that's near and dear to most Americans, which is uh, Social Security. Uh, Barron's talked uh, a lot about uh, what the outlook is for the Social Security Fund, what we may expect going forward, uh, something that uh, many will have a, a strong interest in. Um, we'll talk about one or two uh, individual stocks, and we'll talk about uh, Europe and the impact that Europe may have, um, not just uh, as a piece of your portfolio, um, but uh, how Europe will affect uh, U.S. Uh, companies as well. So I mentioned uh, optimism investing. Um, I'm going to start this morning um, with uh, some commentary on a book called Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. This book uh, has a uh, intention to get us to think about um, how we should be investing not just uh, in order to minimize volatility or to calm our nerves, um, but to think about investing for the long, long term so that our money can be the tool that it's meant to be. After all, money is really just a tool to help you get and achieve the, the productivity of your, of your labor and hard work. Um, so utilizing that money as a tool so that uh, you can manage two of the biggest risks uh, that you have later in life um, and that is inflation and uh, longevity to uh, ensure that that tool doesn't, uh, you know, lose its edge uh, before um, you um, retire permanently yourself. So in thinking about how to help uh, extend the life of uh, that tool money and how we should be investing, um, one of the things that uh, the book says is that smart people and good investors in particular 
realize that you can never find the right answers to your financial questions or to any questions um, until you can't find the right answers until you're asking the right question. The book talks about investors and 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 uh, how we uh, manage our portfolios and uh, concludes that wealth isn't primarily determined by investment performance but by investor behavior and. The end of that is that the real risk of equities in the long run is not owning them. In terms of uh, how do you move forward, how do you set up a plan, um, set formal written goals, make them date-specific, dollar-specific, calculate how much capital you will need and exactly when you will need it. I'm thinking about the future. No one can plan for the future, much less invest successfully in it without believing in that future. And this becomes the working definition of optimism and abiding faith in the future. Um, and I'll circle back once again to Warren Buffett, who frequently cites his optimism in America um, as uh, the reason that uh, that he is able to uh, step up and make investments in trying times, um, 2008-2009 financial crisis, uh, the post-9-11 world. Um, how does he have the fortitude to make those investments? Um, it's because he believes in the future and he believes in humanity and he believes in America. So this morning, um, we woke up to uh, some uh, positive news for, for the Ukrainian forces um, in uh, in their fight against uh, the Russians. Uh, they have uh, swept deeper into uh, territory that they have seized from fleeing Russian troops. Uh, joyful residents uh, of Ukraine uh, returned to former village front lines. Um, and uh, there are many news reports of how Moscow is grappling with the collapse of uh, of its occupational force in northeastern Ukraine. Uh, some are expressing concern that this may back Moscow or Putin into a corner and he may uh, uh, make uh, more uh, dangerous or, or uh, more, uh, more uh, brutal uh, attempts uh, to capture territory in Ukraine, including the potential uh, use or limited use of nuclear weapons. Uh, so that uh, certainly uh, remains a, a deep concern. Um, but uh, the war certainly uh, not over, but uh, lots of uh, joy, jubilation, and optimism uh, this morning uh, in uh, Ukraine for the Ukrainian uh, people. Um, other international news, uh, King Charles over the weekend uh, called uh, Britain's Parliament the living and breathing instrument of our democracy and pledged to follow his late mother Queen Elizabeth's example in maintaining uh, its independence in an address uh, to both uh, chambers of uh, the British government. Iran said it's ready to continue cooperating with the UN nuclear watchdog while revealing a drone capable of hitting major cities in Israel, which has threatened to attack Iranian nuclear sites if diplomacy fails to save a 2015 um, nuclear deal between Iran and the West. Uh, this morning, uh, futures uh, are building upon uh, gains that we saw last week, although uh, the gains are more muted than they were uh, just about an hour ago. Um, S&P futures are up about uh, 11.5 points above fair value. Uh, that's like 0.3%. The NASDAQ futures are up 24 uh, actually 34, and Dow futures are up about 24 uh, points. Uh, equity futures uh, indicate a higher open driven by carryover momentum following last week's uh, rebound effort. There is some hesitation ahead of tomorrow's uh, CPI report, which comes out at 8.30, giving us uh, that all-important look at uh, 
how inflation has been faring um, over the past month. Reuters reporting the White House is expected to tighten restrictions on semiconductor chip exports to China. Um, also uh, this week, uh, Chinese uh, Premier Xi and uh, Vladimir Putin um, will be uh, meeting face-to-face um, in uh, Uzbekistan, um, and any uh, press releases coming out of that region will certainly uh, garner significant attention. Um, all eyes will be focused on uh, any talks of uh, cooperation um, after uh, the release from their previous uh, get-together. In central bank news, there is some speculation that China will lower its medium-term lending facility. European central bank policymakers are reportedly preparing to raise uh, the ECB rate to 2%. Um, EC policymaker Nagel said that uh, clearer steps will need to be taken if inflation doesn't ease, adding that inflation could exceed 10% at its peak, um, which uh, they fear could happen um, in December of this year. Energy futures moving to the upside this morning. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is up about uh, 1% to 87.50 uh, per barrel. Uh, natural gas futures are up uh, about 1% as well. Uh, dollar index is falling uh, about 1%. Uh, the uh, treasuries this morning are uh, slightly uh, higher in price, lower in yield. Um, the two-year yield is down to a 353. Uh, that's down about four basis points. The 10-year yield is down to a 330. That's down about two and a half basis points. And the 30-year is down about uh, two basis points this morning. Equity in the season, the Asia-Pacific region uh, began the week on a higher note. Um, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was closed, uh, but uh, markets in Japan were up uh, over 1%. Um, also closed was the uh, Chinese market. Uh, India was up half a percent. Australia was up one percent. Uh, major European indices are on a firmly higher note, uh, up uh, a little north of one uh, percent uh, this morning. Uh, Bristol Myers stock uh, this morning uh, up about eight percent, receiving uh, FDA approval for a psoriasis uh, drug. Uh, Disney is up about 1% after activist investor Dan Loeb reportedly calling off his push to spin off ESPN. Uh, Newmont, uh, the gold mining company, symbol NEM, initiated with a buy at Goldman Sachs. And the iShares uh, biotech ETF IBB getting a slight move to the upside. President Biden signed an executive order to launch a national biotechnology and biomanufacturing uh, initiative here in the United States. Looking at uh, what's uh, going on this week, uh, Oracle uh, today is reporting first quarter uh, fiscal 2023 results. Uh, tomorrow, that consumer price index uh, number is being released at 8.30. Looking for that CPI number to increase 8.1% year over year versus 8.5% uh, last month. Uh, tomorrow, Twitter is holding an extraordinary shareholder meeting to vote on the proposed $44 billion acquisition by Tesla CEO Elon Musk. On Wednesday, we get the producer price index, the PPI, um, also expected to uh, moderate slightly. Thursday, Adobe, ADBE, holds a conference call to discuss earnings, retail sales. Thursday, uh, looking for those to rise two-tenths of one percent, excluding autos up six-tenths of one percent. And Friday, the University of Michigan releasing its Consumer Sentiment Index for September. Um, the Federal Reserve will be keenly watching consumer expectations of inflation from the survey. Um, Chairman Powell uh, recently uh, quoted saying, uh, our thinking on inflation, 
our, in our thinking, inflation expectations are, no, are now the most important driver in actual inflation. Um, so he'll be carefully watching what the, the market has to say um, in terms of what they're expecting from inflation moving forward. Speaking of inflation, Barron's uh, talked about uh, the fact that inflation could be harder to tame than the Fed anticipates. Uh, market participants returned uh, last week uh, from uh, their summer holiday, um, apparently undaunted by the consistent and persistent message from the central bank officials that short-term policy interest rates must be lifted significantly further to bring inflation to heel. U.S. stocks last week broke their three-week losing streak. The S&P was up about 3.5%, even as the probability of a 75 basis point hike in the Fed funds target rate at the September 2021 uh, Federal Reserve policy meeting climbed to 90% on Friday of last week from a bit more than even money a week earlier. Um, that followed a similar size boost by the uh, European Central Bank this past week and expectations of a further 50 to 75 basis point uh, increase in the Bank of England's policy rate, which is going to take place on September 22nd because it was postponed by a week owing, owing to the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, markets uh, last week appeared relatively sanguine, despite the possibility of an additional 50 basis point increase in the Fed funds rate at the November 1, November 2 meeting and a 25 basis point rise at the December 13 to 14 get-together. Um, taken uh, in aggregate, if those moves were to happen, that would uh, take the Fed funds rate that's currently at 2 and a quarter to 2.5%, up to 3 and 3 quarters and 4% uh, by year end. Um, but uh, some are concerned that even a three and three quarter or four percent policy rate might not bring inflation within the sh- within shouting distance of the Fed's long-term target of two percent. Inflation is running above the four uh, percent top interest rate. That means money costs less than nothing after inflation. Uh, many are saying that in order to curb uh, inflation, money has to be dear, not just in actual terms, but in real terms. For clues as to whether the inflationary tide is receding. Stock and bond markets will be closely watching, as I mentioned, the CPI, uh, which is coming out tomorrow. Um, all eyes uh, will not just be on the headline number, but uh, also focused on the core CPI, which is expected to have risen three-tenths of 1% last month, um, which, if uh, that uh, were to be the number, would indicate that inflation um, on a core basis is increasing um, and uh, 12-month uh, inflation would be running on the core level at 6.1%, up from 59 um, even though the headline number would be declining due to uh, energy prices uh, coming down. Uh, other component uh, that's uh, going to be carefully watched is uh, wages and wage price growth. Um, Lana Fed is suggesting that wage price growth uh, is up about 6.7% year over year. Uh, which is certainly inflationary and certainly uh, a concern for the Fed. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, those who are uh, working um, and uh, enjoying that 6.7% increase uh, are not enjoying the fact that it, that 6.7% increase is nevertheless lower than the inflation rate. And as many know, uh, therefore, uh, the real wages uh, and the ability of uh, common folks to uh, pay for goods and services uh, is declining um, because if uh, real wages are increasing uh, just under 7% and inflation is running at 9%, uh, there is that uh, 2% shortfall. Other factors the market having to contend with is uh, the Fed's uh, shrinkage of their balance sheet. Uh, some are suggesting that uh, that uh, 4% rate on the uh, Fed funds rate is significantly underestimating the amount of tightening and perhaps uh, some who are calling for higher rates 
um, are, uh, are are overdoing it um, because the Fed is going to be uh, shrinking their balance sheet by uh, about $90 billion per month. Uh, the exact uh, magnitude of that and the ability to translate that into uh, actual uh, numbers uh, compared to, uh, let's say, a Fed funds rate is uh, a challenge. Um, not a lot of history in terms of uh, quantitative tightening, um, but some are suggesting that quantitative tightening uh, in aggregate, if uh, it is able to run its course, could uh, be equivalent to a 3 to 4% extra increase in the Fed funds rate um, due to that tighter policy. Um, also, uh, an analyst at uh, Jeffries over the uh, weekend uh, also uh, giving her opinion that uh, the Fed funds rate is also um, perhaps uh, needing to be adjusted by the fact that we have a much stronger dollar, um, and uh, that stronger dollar also potentially uh, could have the effect of uh, raising the Fed funds rate uh, on an equivalency basis uh, by about uh, 100 basis points. Um, as it makes it more challenging uh, for U.S. companies uh, to compete uh, internationally. In terms of where the market may be going, uh, Barron's uh, suggested that uh, the only reliable indicator um, that uh, the markets uh, have uh, been able to use as a North Star um, is one that uh, in history has uh, been fraught with uh, with uh, questions and and, uh, and perhaps uh, some questioning its ability to uh, to uh, be an accurate prognosticator. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the one reliable indicator of late has been uh, the technical analysis. Um, so taking a look and doing a little bit of a dive into uh, the technical analysis of the uh, financial markets, uh, last week uh, the S&P hit 3,900 on Tuesday. It's not only a big round number, but uh, also equal to the 61.8% Fibonacci retracement level off of the June low. Uh, many technicians uh, uh, cite the uh, Fibonacci retracement level as a uh, as a, uh, a key uh, support level. Um, that's 61.8% of the way um, from the market's trough to its uh, prior uh, peak um, is what that 61.8% represents. Um, the index uh, last week uh, struggled after it uh, bounced. Um, and it struggled uh, to get above its 200-day moving average. Uh, that has proved to be um, the real uh, the real challenge uh, for the markets the past several months. Um, so the markets uh, have been range-bound um, between that 61.8% Fibonacci retracement level, which is around 3,900, and the 200-day moving average, which is 4,300 on the S&P 500. Uh, many of these uh, technical analysts suggesting the markets will remain mired uh, between these two points. Um, if there were to be a breakout below 3,900, uh, the thought is that the markets uh, then may uh, challenge the 36.36 lows that uh, occurred in June. And if the markets were to rally above 4,300, um, that could signal more gains to come and a change in the market's uh, tone. Uh, many technical analysis analysts uh, are not expecting a, a breakout uh, through those ranges, um, but if one should occur, that would... Uh, perhaps be indicative of a change in market direction either way. So I mentioned uh, Social Security, uh, something that uh, is near and dear to uh, almost uh, everyone who is uh, working and paying into uh, the system. Um, Barron's uh, looking forward um, and uh, writing a, a feature article that uh, Social Security will hit a breaking point, what that means for younger workers. 
Um, many young workers, uh, nearly half uh, of those between ages 26 and 41, uh, don't believe that they will receive any benefits from Social Security. Um, that's significantly less than Generation Xers and Baby Boomers, who uh, respectively think uh, that Social Security will not provide for them. Uh, 30% of Gen Xers feel that way and 15% of Baby Boomers. Uh, given the rapid aging of the population, the pessimism is understandable. Uh, for many decades, there were more than three workers paying uh, FICA taxes for each beneficiary, but that number has fallen to 2.8 uh, workers uh, per recipient, and that's expected to decline to 2.3 workers per recipient by 2035. Still, the younger workers who expect the pension system developed during the Great Depression to be completely defunct by the time they reach retirement age are probably overstating the case. The Social Security program uh, faces insolvency, not bankruptcy. Well, what do we mean by that? Um, what that means is that if Congress fails to uh, act, um, before 2035, um, and uh, the fund is uh, left on its own to uh, pay for retiree benefits, well, it will have to pay 23% less to its recipients because uh, at that level, the fund will become self-sustaining. Uh, um, so folks would be able to receive 77% uh, of schedule benefits. Now, that's if no additional moves to raise funds or reduce benefits uh, are taken. Um, so what uh, are the likely steps uh, that may or may not happen uh, between now and 2035? Well, the general expectation is that Congress will likely step in, um, given the fact that uh, so many rely on Social Security, and it uh, is uh, a near and dear issue to uh, seniors and uh, seniors vote. Now, in order to get something done um, to uh, change or modify uh, the Social Security uh, uh, system. Um, you need legislative action, uh, not from the executive branch, which can uh, nudge action um, by words and proposals, but the legislative arm or Congress uh, must uh, take up the uh, mantra um, of making change, and it must be bipartisan, at least in the current environment, because you can't pass it through reconciliation, meaning you need 60 votes, not 50 votes. So what can lawmakers do? Well, they can raise taxes, they can cut benefits, they can raise the retirement age, um, or what they could do is some sort of one-time transfer that would add to the company's uh, debt. On the revenue side, Congress could increase the rate of the FICA tax, which is currently 12.4% uh, combined between the uh, employee and employer. Uh, they could raise the tax, uh, the cap on the tax, which is currently capped at 147000 so any income you have over $147,000 is not subject to Social Security tax. Uh, that could uh, be raised, and uh, therefore uh, uh, those earning more than 147000 uh, could continue to pay Social Security tax. Politicians could also subject 100% of benefits to federal tax instead of the current 85% above certain income levels. Um, one of the thoughts uh, that uh, is getting a lot of attention is that Congress could increase the full retirement age. Uh, that's the age at which you receive 100% of the benefits you're entitled to. Uh, one proposal would lift the full retirement age from 67 to 69. Well, that doesn't uh, reduce your benefits uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, dollar amounts. Uh, by raising that age, it does uh, uh, reduce the amount of money that you will receive over your lifetime by about 13%. Um, so that is something that uh, could have a meaningful impact. 
So assuming that Social Security uh, does survive and uh, that those of you who uh, are concerned about receiving it uh, um, do actually receive it in the future, um, then one of the most important decisions you'll have to make is uh, in, in what, at what age uh, should you be taking those Social Security uh, benefits. Um, and Barron's uh, suggests that uh, this is one of the most important financial decisions that many uh, Americans will make. Um, and that many Americans make a mistake, they suggest, um, when they make that decision. Uh, many Americans, they say, make that decision um, based on their break-even point or the age at which they will wind up with uh, the most benefits uh, over their lifetime. Um, while that certainly is logical and makes a lot of sense, um, many experts say uh, that the primary concern shouldn't be maximizing your benefits but uh, the primary concern would be how to use Social Security as a tool um, so that you can use it so that uh, you minimize the potential or probability that you will exhaust your assets uh, in your lifetime. And uh, the one suggestion that they have is that many Americans, now each situation is different and unique, but that many Americans uh, oftentimes take Social Security too early. Uh, many take it at age 62 fearing if they wait, perhaps they won't ever get a dime out of Social Security. But what that means is that they are locking in a 30% reduction um, in their benefits um, if they start taking at 62. Whereas if they wait until age 70, they will qualify for 124% of the benefit they had received, They would have received if they had waited till their full retirement age, which is currently 67. Claiming later allows you to protect yourself at your most vulnerable, which is during old age. Um, if you need more money in your early 60s, you'll probably have other options like getting a part-time job or trimming non-essential expenses. In your 80s or 90s, you'll have significantly less leeway. What's more, people have a tendency to underestimate their life expectancies. One mistake is pegging your expectations to how long your parents lived, when in fact genetics account for less than 7% of longevity. Another is looking at average life expectancies at birth, which people who uh, die which include people who die before they reach old age. Um, so if you make it to age 65, you'll likely live around seven years beyond your average life expectancy. Also consider that couples have a, even a better chance of longevity between the two of them, uh, while most break-even calculations focus only on each one individually. I'm going to mention uh, one individual uh, stock. It's an international uh, company. Um, that was mentioned in Barron's. The name of the stock is IHS Holdings. Uh, symbol is IHS, Idaho Hotel Sam. It is the new kid on the block in the cell tower world. Um, and Barron says it's a stock that may be worth buying. Uh, cell tower companies are the companies that uh, the uh, telecommunications companies, uh, like here in the United States, like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, um, who they uh, pay rents to uh, these companies, uh, um, in order to use their antennas to uh, transmit uh, your cellular data and cellular phone calls. Um, so the wireless carriers, uh, therefore, uh, have a landlord, and it is the uh, companies that own the uh, cell tower real estate. Now, IHS recently had a public offering. It came out at $17 per share. Uh, stock is down about 63% to $6.27. Um, it's a minnow in the uh, in the uh, in the space here of the cell tower world with a $2 billion market capitalization compared with American Tower at $122 billion. IHS differs uh, from uh, 
company like American Tower because its focus is on emerging markets where the wireless business is in an earlier stage of growth and the cell tower leasing model is relatively new. They have 31,000 towers across 11 markets in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. Most of the revenue that they have is currently coming from Nigeria. Now, there are two big tailwinds for this company. One, population growth in the emerging markets is fast. Smartphone penetration is increasing rapidly, and many of these countries are just beginning to think about 5G. Um, IHS's organic growth has been 18% a year over the past five years, and adjusted earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization has increased uh, 15% annually, and its margins are staggeringly high at uh, 51%. Free cash flow is strong. Um, and Barron says leverage is manageable at current levels. Now, not everything is perfect. Um, many of these uh, towers are in unreliable electric grids, and uh, IHS has to rely on diesel generators as primary or backup power for many of its cell towers. And uh, with the higher energy prices, uh, the costs in, able, in order to do this have increased uh, for IHS. And what they're doing uh, to offset that is investing in solar powers and batteries to reduce the impact. The bigger issue might be the stock's particularly low float. In- insiders own 95% of shares, uh, with tranches of 20% becoming available every six months. The next one is next month in October. Uh, this will increase the universe of potential investors and eventually allow the company to use its free cash flow to buy back the stock. Uh, stock, which I mentioned, uh, down from the IPO. Um, from 17 to uh, just over 6, is now trading for around 12 times projected 2023 earnings, which is well below its American peers, which are going for about 45 times earnings, um, despite slower growth, but with uh, the potential for more consistent growth. Barron's uh, feels that the discount more than compensates for the emerging market risk, um, while the stock's decline uh, represents a buying opportunity for long-term investors. Wall Street's average price target is uh, back up near the IPO price at around $18 a share, which, uh, if uh, were to happen, um, would indicate an appreciation of uh, almost uh, 200%. going to turn it over to uh, Brad to give us uh, lots of insights uh, on markets and uh, fixed income markets, which uh, certainly have been very active. And uh, Brad's going to uh, give us uh, his thoughts and opinions. Good morning, Brad. morning, Keith. Good morning, everyone. I'm actually going to be very brief this morning, um, but I hope everyone had a nice weekend. I also hope everyone took a moment to remember uh, 9-11 as a Manhattanite. That was definitely the scariest, worst day I ever lived through, and it always seems like yesterday. Uh, I always think about that uh, day when everything seems like it stinks, especially with relationship to the, mar- uh, the market. Uh, recently, the markets have, have been awful, and it is depressing but we need to keep that in mind when we're getting upset about the markets. Just uh, for me, it helps to keep everything in perspective. Uh, what I think many of us started to see happen last week is that the sentiment just got too negative in all markets. Uh, I'm not suggesting by any means that it's time to go all in, but maybe uh, it's time to start uh, thinking that there's a silver lining uh, just over yonder. Uh, the 10-year Treasury currently at 3.28% are is controlling a lot of the moves in every market. Uh, but we may finally be, be within a, a comfortable trading range here. In municipals, uh, they're still very cheap. Uh, you can still buy good quality 4% bonds going at give or take 20 years. 
you know, at around par or even a slight discount. Uh, don't forget that 4% is 6.15% taxable equivalent in the 35% federal tax bracket. Uh, that is a lot higher uh, for states like New York, New Jersey, and California, uh, where you add in uh, those additional taxes as well as other high-tax states. I'm not going to go into a lot more detail this week uh, because I want to spend more time next week discussing municipal tax law swaps, which there will be plenty to do this year if you can use them, and the pros and cons of deep dis- discount municipal bonds. Uh, there's a lot of uh, negative articles uh, about deep discount municipal bonds, but if uh, played properly, uh, contra- contrary to this oversimplified analysis, uh, these di- deep discount bonds, uh, municipal bonds, can hold tremendous value at, at the right price at the right time. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lanton. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.